Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel to Estonia and we're going to talk about business messaging. Why is it important? What's unique about it? Why do we need it? Because, of course, when you're trying to grow your business, whether it's a fintech or a startup, you need to communicate. You need to get the word out. You need to engage with your customers. And how do you do it efficiently and securely? That's sometimes a challenge, right? So that's why we have Uku in the house today and we'll find out more about this. First of all, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. All right, brilliant. My typical question is first, how did you get here? And I don't mean the the traffic was bad and things like this, and you had to take three flights and two buses or two car rides, etc. But what was your journey towards entrepreneurship? It's actually interesting. I've had a pretty varied journey throughout my life. The first job I ever had was an almond salesman on the streets of Tallinn. And then that was during university where I was in law school. Then I did my mandatory conscription in the military. I became a decorated platoon commander. I came out of the army, became a manager for a wholesale seafood company, believe it or not. And then realizing that at 23, I'm probably not in a good position or have really the knowledge or expertise to run a company with multinational aspirations, I decided to take a step back and take a junior sales position in the company that I am at today. And... In seven years, I transitioned from that junior sales position to now the CEO and shareholder of that company. And I've seen this company grow from a 1 million a year operation to now 14 million a year operation. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey. I've pretty much always been a grinder, usually not good at stuff at start, but have worked things out throughout the sort of my journey and have put in the work and then that's how I became the CEO as well. I'm not your classical founder. I'm not somebody who who inherited the business or found another way. I just pretty much grinded my way from the bottom to the top. And I bring that same mentality to the business we do as well. Pretty much grinders all the way. I see. All right. Great stuff. You mentioned now you're a CEO at Mesente. So yep. what is the problem that you're solving for your clients, for your customers? And why is it worth solving? Yeah, so the main thing we do for customers is we deliver their business critical messages such as OTP codes, parcel notifications, transaction notifications, payment reminders, stuff like that for financial services, logistics companies, cybersecurity companies. And we try we focus on being very reliable and secure in doing so. And it's very important, especially these days, because customer acquisition costs are getting more expensive through either ads, through demand generation, etc. It's becoming harder and harder to actually get clients and be effective at communicating with them. And there are a lot of businesses that these days don't use business messaging while they should. And a lot of companies that already use business messaging, but can do it better. So we try to be 
one of the biggest advisors, first and foremost, for businesses to teach them how to actually do this thing as well as possible. You know, I'll give you one of my favorite stats about business messaging. The click-through rate for SMS or promotional content, for example, is between 17 and 45%. That's the CR you're looking at compared to 5 to 9% on Facebook ads. That's the bang for your buck that you're getting. Unfortunately, only 5 to 7% of companies in the world use business messaging and don't make use of this actual tool. And that's what we, would, we pretty much do, try to advise them, build a reliable solution, and do so globally especially. Okay, so let's clarify the solution because I would have thought that the traditional telco companies do this, right? I could sign up for, I don't know if I need one, but you know, SME account and things like this with a telco company, they can deliver messages, OTP, all kinds of stuff like that. Where do you come in? Yeah, so the thing here is that mobile network operators are realistically good in the markets that they're at. Most usually. Take, for example, within the European region, T-Mobile or Deutsche Telekom, for example. They're strong in the markets where they have a footprint. Outside of that, they're not as competitive or as strong because they're very much domestic. So what Macenta does is we don't have one specific core focus market. We're able to be strong globally. So we build up a very large network of different types of local providers, local partners. And what this actually comes with is We not only work with the direct mobile network operators in a market, say, like Vietnam, for example, but we also work with the local players there that give you that knowledge of how the market works, what works, what doesn't work. And it's also a question of advocacy. So a company that isn't really local there doesn't have a local entity or doesn't even have local partners there, like a European-based operator is not going to have local, strong, knowledgeable partners, most usually in Vietnam. So if you're trying to expand to another market, you're going to end up being in a difficult situation. And quite often, a lot of operators also don't deliver to other operators, even in the same market or in neighboring markets, at a competitive rate. So you'll need to onboard a lot of operators if you're doing large volumes. But instead of that, you connect Macenta and we'll deliver all of the messages to 40 markets, 50 markets. Some clients even send to 197 markets globally. So the entire world, literally every market in the world, through one connection, instead of going to a thousand different connections to do that. And that's what we do. We pretty much make it just very simple for you to build your business at scale without worrying about business messaging getting in the way or dealing with the registrations and everything else that comes up when you try to launch a multi-market business. Okay, so do you have partnerships with these local telco companies? And if so, can you give us some examples in which markets or which countries? So realistically, we have a partner network that has three tiers. So first, you have the direct operator connections in the biggest markets that we work in, say, Scandinavia, Europe, where we work with Orange, for example, directly in Spain. Not just Orange's hub, because Orange also has like a hub connection that covers every destination that Orange has globally. But then we work with the direct Spanish players who are the strongest at that particular market. And then you have the hubs. So let's say Vodafone has a hub, Orange has a hub, Telefonic, O2, etc. They have this sort of a large hub connection so you can get an entire footprint from there. And then every market specifically also has the strongest aggregators or the strongest local players in those markets. So we add those as well. 
Our biggest focus areas and where our sort of clients are most active in is, of course, Europe, which is our home market. More specifically, we're the strongest, especially in Scandinavia and Northern Europe. But simultaneously, what quite often happens is you'll have a European company, let's say from one of the Baltic states, let's say an Estonian company. Estonia is too small of a market, they'll expand. They'll expand to Poland, for example. And then they do their business in Poland. They decide they want to move into another market. They move into Spain. They're already in Spain. They'll move on to Mexico as well because language is similar, similar sort of type of functioning market potentially. So they move on to there as well. And we're there in the entire journey with them. So that's why while Europe is still our core area, LATAM gets some of the biggest traffic from us. And on the other side, Southeast Asia as well. So realistically, we have partners all around the world, but there are certain focus areas where most of our businesses is being handled. And that tends to be Europe, LATAM, and Southeast Asia. I see. So I see the angle is targeting clients' needs when they are trying to expand. They want to go international. They are outgrowing their home markets. Anything else? You said that the percentages of click-through rate on SMS is higher than on Facebook and, and maybe other online services. How is it for your service versus, say, local operator directly? Are you higher or lower or comparable? And why is that? Completely comparable. At the end of the day, we will terminate into the operator's gateway anyways, because in order to reach the handsets, you have to actually go through the operator's masts, right? But... What we do is we add value by advising what the template should be, what are the do's and don'ts. For example, very simple example to draw. Most every promotional campaign that you'll do via SMS will have some form of URL in it, something that people can click, some website that you're redirecting to, etc. Now, if you're using messaging, every character costs. So what people usually do is they'll use something like a bit.ly or some other link shortener to make sure that the link is short so you don't pay for like extra characters, right? But what happens is that Bitly is also the most commonly used shortener for scam. So Bitly is also most often filtered out. So if you're doing a promotional campaign using like Bitly links, you might be not might not be getting the actual same results as you would if you would use your own website branded shortened URL. Right by a similar, very shortened URL for your own company, custom domain, and then use links through that, which is significant. But you can also pay Bitly and they will brand it for you, right? Yeah, you can also do that as well. But the point of the matter is that if you don't know that it should be branded, then you might end up actually not having the same click-through rate. And this is some of the things that local operators might not always advise you about and might not be there. And it also happens with really large brands as well. It's one of the things we focus on, being very hands-on, so that we help and teach you about these small things that can have an immense impact on your marketing campaign, for example. All right, understood, understood. We talked about Mesenta being a business messaging app. A couple of years ago, WhatsApp had a huge issue when they were communicating their change to a privacy policy. A lot of people left them. They went to Signal, Telegram, etc. But on the other hand, look, Facebook bought them for 20 billion. So I'm not surprised that they want to make some money out of it. But then they came back and said, the messages are encrypted, right? But they offer a business messaging service, which I assume is paid, right? So how are you different from 
something like this. You talked about SMS, of course, and the click-through, anything else? So we do OTTs as well, like WhatsApp, like Viber, like RCS, which is pretty much a rich version of SMS, kind of, a little bit different, but it serves the purpose the same. The difference between us and WhatsApp is that WhatsApp is a singular channel. It has 2.8 billion subscribers around the world, out of which 1.4 billion are in India. So half of that 1.4 million is distributed globally, right? But there are more than 7 billion people in the world, more than 7 billion phones that you could actually reach. And the only thing that reaches all of them is still SMS. But rich messaging has an even higher click-through rate. We actually run certain markets WhatsApp first for our clients where it makes more sense as a communication channel, like Saudi Arabia, for example, is a much more effective channel in communication there compared to SMS, but it doesn't have 100% market penetration. So what we do is we will have fallbacks. If the number or the user that's actually there doesn't have a WhatsApp account, it'll fall back to SMS and you'll still get the message there. So you can layer these things, have cascading messaging, as it's called, to get the maximum CR. The difference between promotional campaign, for example, in Bulgaria with Viber compared to Bulgaria on SMS on our clients has been 3x. So 300% more conversion on Viber as compared to SMS. So it's very important to understand the market in terms of what channel to use so you can get the most bang for your buck because usually WhatsApp and Viber are more expensive than SMS as well, obviously, because there's more features. I, I see. So let's talk about the compliance angle as well a little bit, right? Because with you might not have to be based in the European Union, but you've probably heard of GDPR and things like this. So generally speaking, when you are... When you are a client, you sign up on somebody's website. They often ask you to reconfirm if it's you. Every year they ask you, do you still want to get the messages, etc. What about the SMS messages? Sometimes you get the note there. If you don't want to receive those anymore, text stop here. But sometimes you don't and you end up blocking them, etc. So how does that work in your setting? Yeah, so most of the time, customers themselves are responsible for making sure that they only send promotional content, for example, to opted in numbers. But then we provide like blacklisting tools. Same feature. It depends really on the market. And here's the funny thing as well. There are so many European markets and GDPR applies to all of them. But nearly every market has a different understanding of how promotional messages should be handled. That example of send stop to this number is an example that is very common in France, for example, for any promotional message that click on this link or text stop to this number is mandatory. But in Estonia, for example, it isn't. People need to have an option at the service provider side, say on the app or on their website to actually opt out from those messages. So there's a varying degree of how to handle this. And we usually either provide a blacklisting tool or help them build a webhook so people can unsubscribe from that messaging list, et cetera. But from our side, that's sort of the processing side of sending promotional content. The more difficult thing for us from a compliance perspective is that we're using a ton of subprocessors. So we're the main processor, but then we forward it to mobile network operators, we forward it to local carriers. So there are a lot of subprocessors. So how do we ensure that those subprocessors are actually legitimate? So most of the time, even with subprocessors that are outside of Europe, we will still create a data processing agreement with them. We'll also do an audit beforehand 
to make sure that they're actually compliant. And then we'll have auditing rights there as well. Plus, I think the biggest thing that helps companies with text messaging is that you can limit retention times to to the very minimum on our side. For example, for messages for a local sort of Baltics parcel delivery company, DPD is their name. For them, we have a rule that their data is kept on our side for 30 days, after which it's completely scrubbed. So no phone numbers, no logs, no content, no nothing. And then it's an easy sell as well for companies where instead of focusing on what are the security features, the most secure way of protecting you is not processing at all or not keeping stuff at all. So sounds good. Now, who are your key clients? I know, for example, you work with Verif, that is an Estonian online document verification company. How do you work with them or others? So you talked about technical side of things, but now I'm more interested in partnerships and the business side of things. Yeah, but if not only do they do different sorts of verifications, but they're also like a global know your customer type of company. So they are one of the companies that works in 197 markets plus. And with them, we have a kind of a unique partnership because they're not your classic OTP sending company. Every message that they send has a URL and URLs are the most heavily filtered pieces of content in any market in the world because that's what scam is usually based on. So when we started working with them, we actually took about two months, I think, to go through every piece of documentation that we had to with every operator that they were going to launch globally, made sure that we took care of all of the documentation for them, and then got them launched. Look at the actual delivery rates and the honest statistics that they were getting, asked them to share, share their conversion rate data, looked at where something was off and consistently adjusted over multiple months to significantly increase the delivery rate that they had before. But now, as they are a global brand, they also get hit quite a lot with different forms of fraud. So what we've been actively doing with them is having calls with them explaining how a specific type of fraud works. What are the mechanisms they can put in on their side to protect themselves? The idea is that we could build a product and then sell it to them. But we would rather advise them how they can build safeguards into their own system that they control and they adjust to an absolute T because it makes them secure even if they one day decide to change partner. So that's one example. But then there's a lot of different financial service providers from the Nordics, if PNC, which is a major insurance company in the Nordics that we work with across their entire footprint, where they send millions of messages every single month. And we sometimes even look at one single case of a missing number. Usually, if you're sending a million messages, one or two messages are probably not going to get there for some miscellaneous reasons. But even if they do, we try to chase even the smallest amounts of messages down because it's important to them and their customers. And I think the most unique case we do is with one of the largest Estonian banks, LHV. And with them, we have a very unique anti-fraud cooperation between LHV Bank, the Estonian police and us, where we try to filter out and protect as much of the market as we possibly can from spam and scam that's related to their brand. And over the past, I think, three or four months, we've driven it away from SMS back to email, which is a, which is a good success. But we also managed to highlight what's the damage of this kind of fraud. And if you're not fighting against it, what could be the possible damage to your clients? Because they get, we currently stop about 50,000 scam messages per month, roughly. 
usually scam CR conversion rate is between one and 4% with the average damage per person being around 800 euros, right? So if you do the math, 50,000 messages, one to 4% CR, 800 per person, it's between 400,000 and 1.2 million euros of damages to clients per month. That's the kind of impact you can have when you work very closely with your clients. Which is a nice segue to my next question, because obviously fraudsters are getting better, improving every year. You talked about the damages to your clients, to your businesses from a B2B perspective. What about individuals? Do you have any advice regarding protection against the latest, greatest attacks in in messaging? What is out there that you probably a year ago uh, would think that would be genuine message, but it's not? The big thing currently in fraud is the fact that they're using AI. So they're using messages that no longer look fraudulent. The only difference between a fraudulent message and a real message sent from a bank, for example, is the URL. And that's the thing that you need to be very careful of. If you get a text message, you need to look at the URL and see whether it looks like a legitimate URL or not. Usually, if a company sends you a message, they're not going to have a a hyphen domain name or a non-legitimate domain name, not the main domain name that they're using. They're going to use their main domain. So if it's lhvbank.com, for example, every message will come from lhvbank.com, not derivatives of that. So that's something that you need to be very careful of because we're using AI more. We're using ChatGPT to improve our content and improve our texts. So are scammers. They're not stupid either. So that's the big thing that's going on with personal accounts and people themselves. But the other large part and a rising trend, unfortunately, is artificially inflated traffic or AIT. It's the same sort of form of fraud that Elon Musk actually tweeted about a few months ago when they said when he said that the telco companies are defrauding Twitter to the tune of $60 million a year. That's AIT, which is basically... Malicious actors creating a bot, that bot creating fake accounts, for example, on the app to trigger SMS messages. And what they do is they buy a bunch of numbers from operators, create a bunch of fake accounts with those numbers. You create Twitter, for example, sends those OTP messages out to verify the account. And that number and that content reaches downstream towards the malicious actor. They pick up the number pick the code from the actual content, insert it into the app, the account gets verified. But what happens is they don't ever forward the text message to the mobile network operator. So they never actually get charged for it, but they will charge Twitter for it. And what happened here was that they would have, let's say 10, 20% of their total accounts per month would be fake, for example. And for those 10, 20% of messages, they were paying the same amount that they were before, but the malicious actor was getting 100% margin. And for Twitter's case, this was extreme because it was 60 million messages per year, but it's even more extreme for certain small clients as well. Like two weeks back, a financial service that we're actively working with and that we advise got hit with an attack that over the weekend caused them a messaging bill of 45,000 euros in a single weekend, which is very expensive. And now we try to advise clients on what they can do on their side to avoid these things. Because from an aggregator's perspective, from like from our perspective, 
it looks exactly the same. The requests are legitimate because it's done using legitimate account data and a legitimate mobile number. So from our perspective, we don't know whether you were planning to, whether your clients were planning to create a thousand accounts in Senegal or weren't. We can guess that they weren't, but what if they actually were? We'll be creating false positives. So those are the two big things in the messaging fraud scene happening right now. All right, understood. So we talked a lot about technology, but you also said that you are active in so many markets. So how did you get going? Or is there any simple advice that you can give to people that would like to expand to new markets? How do you launch in a new market? The simplest thing you can do really is ask for advice in terms of what's the best way to launch that market. You'll probably have a fairly good idea of what markets interest you. So ask from a messaging perspective, is market X easier to launch in than market Z, for example? Good example, you could have Saudi Arabia versus UAE. Quite similar markets in terms of messaging pricing, a little bit different in terms of Are you able to launch their messaging campaign effectively or not? UAE does allow some form of promotional messages. Saudi Arabia does not allow promotional messages at all. So you need to take that into consideration if you're trying to launch a market like that. And that's what it boils down to is asking for advice and then getting good advice in terms of what works, what doesn't work, how does one market work, how does another market work, as well as what's like the best practices. Should I send payment reminders? Should I send OTP codes? What kind of promotional content should I send? How should it be built up, et cetera? Like these are the things that we can advise you on and help you build that customer flow based on business messaging that's more effective and also more cost effective at the end as well. So it sounds like you cannot do it alone, which leads me to my next question is, do you have any business books or nonfiction books that you can recommend to readers to follow up on some of the topics we covered today? Yeah, for me, especially since I'm a numbers type of a person and I like the heuristics of decision-making, my favorite book that's related to both business and psychology is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is all about the mistakes people make in decision-making, like sunken cost fallacy, for example, how you can make better decisions. The two other ones that relate to both leadership and business practices are Extreme Ownership and Dichotomy of Leadership by Michael Willink and Leif Babin. That is very heavily associated with how do you make more effective leaders and how do you make a more effective decision-making process. And then last but not least, again, it's a pattern here. I like processes and efficiency is Measure What Matters by John Doerr. Based on OKRs, how they work, how you can make a a well-functioning company strategy built around goals, built around objectives and how to build those things. So those are my essential to-go books pretty much always. Wonderful. It sounds great because I recommend all of those also in my courses as well. We are well aligned here. What is the best way for people to reach out and what kind of people or partners would you like to connect with most? So anybody who wants to learn about business messaging and wants to ask questions, most often what I get asked is, how much does it cost to send SMS or WhatsApp to one market or another market? The best way to do that is reach out to me on LinkedIn. Or if you just want to ask how to get going with business messaging, for example, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll gladly share my ideas and thoughts. And if you want to 
quote or you just want to sign up to an account for free, use our pay-to-go messaging service, then you can just sign up at mesente.com, which is M-E-S-S-E-N-T-E.com. You can just sign up there, create an account, and you can also reach out via our website as well to get like a custom quote, for example. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Good luck to you, Uku. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.